Hey everybody, Summer Terry here from Superior Therapy and we've had a lot of requests for me to kind of revive the EPM discussion that Dr. Sam Crosby did at our place about six months ago and so this is definitely not going to be the best audio as far as our podcasting goes because basically what I'm doing is I'm patching in the audio from our live video from Facebook so that you can find it a little bit easier and you can listen to it in the car going down the road. So if you'd like to actually watch the video, you can find it under our video section of our Facebook page, which is Superior Therapy LLC, or you can, you can find it here. We plan to have Dr. Sam out again in about another month to kind of revisit the whole EPM thing and basically see what, what new findings they've had with their research because, you know, as we all know, uh, the medical field is changing constantly. And so um, until then, I'm going to patch in the audio. That way everybody can follow along and listen. So enjoy. Okay. So going back to where we're talking about, my name's Sam Crosby, veterinarian Arcadia, Oklahoma. I'm expressing my opinions and my views on EPM. I'm sure there'll be a lot of disagreements with them, but uh, these views were gleaned from years of experience, years of dealing with it, and years of treatment. Uh, so where I'm going to start tonight, I'm going to start by telling you where I come from as far as EPM and where I've gleaned all these opinions that I have. And then I'll build my case and I'll let y'all decide when you're done. I'm not here to tell you how it is. I'm here to tell you how I think it is. And you guys can judge by what I tell you. So that's where this deal starts. Now, when I was a young veterinarian, actually when I was a young man, my father was a veterinarian. This was back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, we would find a horse they called the Wobbler. Nobody really knew where it was, and that was pretty much the end of the deal. He's a wobbler, we're done. Thank you, Bob. Uh, there was a lot of diagnostics. Uh, early 90s, when I got into vet school, basic wobblers, there's several wobbler syndromes, but some of the wobbler syndromes are caused by a parasite. A parasite is a protozoan organism. Okay, so protozoan organism that caused EPM, as they call it, which is EPM is equine protozoal myeloencephalitis. It's a long, long word basically telling you that this bug way to the spinal cord and builds a home within the spinal cord, and when it does that, it causes damage, sometimes irreparable. Now, the damage it causes is caused from the actual organism finding a spot in the, in the spinal cord and building a home there, and then it is held at that spot by the immune system of the horse. But then something happens to drop the immune system in the muscle, it could be a hot day. And if that stresses the immune system enough, the immune system drops and when that influence increases, and at that point, starts impeding electric responses, electric signals down the, down the cord. And that's when we used to see it. Okay. So there was a lot of rules early on as far as EPM was concerned. And by rules, what I'm talking about is you would normally see, uh, you'd see about 70% of the horses affected more in the right rear. I don't know why that is, but that was a rule that was cast about and everybody kind of looked for it. Okay, so 
we started looking for uh, presentation. You would see a lot of the neurologic cases and you'd start looking for it. Now there are other causes for neurologic, West Nile being one of them, rhino, the uh, equine herpes virus being another. So you always have to, if you have a neurologic course, you always have to come back to those and disprove all your other things. You have to do your testing if you're neurologic. Okay, so back in 15 years ago and plus back, um, I wasn't a big believer in Marquee or some of the other commercial drugs, so I used some of the, uh, the other available drugs. At the time, we used oxytetracycline a lot, which was a common drug combination that we used to do, and it worked pretty well. But then we were seeing maybe one neurologic horse every 60 to 90 days, maybe. Okay, you would see one case of EPM, and you'd diagnose maybe one horse every 60 to 90 days, if that. Okay, so then we had a drought of epic proportions. Okay, we started importing hay, we're looking for anything to feed our animals and whatnot. Okay, at, during this drought, which lasted approximately six to seven years, everything changed. Now I started seeing a whole lot more cases. Okay, now by seeing more cases, I developed a, uh, an exam that's my own. Uh, there are other people that use similar exams, and each of us, I'm sure, have an exam that we consider our own. I incorporated uh, elements of acupuncture, chiropractic, everything else. And what I noticed after doing this exam on thousands of horses is that all horses that had EPM presented a certain way. Okay, so there are four acupuncture points that show up on, on one horse that has EPM, and then there's a hypersensitivity that's present in almost every one of them that you find. Okay, we've got blood tests, we've got spinal taps and all of that. Okay, so uh, the blood test were uh, woefully inadequate. Okay, so the first blood test uh, measured a titer, and still does actually, measures a titer. Now, a titer is a body's response to an infection with an organ. Okay, so what you're measuring when you take that blood test for EPM is you're measuring the body's response to that bug. So that bug has challenged this body, this horse's body, and his body's responded and you're measuring the response. If you measure a really high response, and, and that response is high according to where it's normally at, then you're pretty sure you have an infection with EPM and you can go ahead with that on a blood diagnosis. Back uh, a few years back, we used to do a lot of spinal taps. The spinal taps were because we had, it was EPM, it wasn't a spinal cord, and the only true way to get a true diagnosis was to go in there and take some spinal fluid out and look for actual DNA of the bug in the spinal fluid. Okay, so used to do a lot of those, but those are dangerous and they're also very expensive. Okay, so the treatments that came out commercially, uh, Marquee, Navigator, Protozil, they all have one thing in common and that is that they're very expensive. Okay, $800 for a bucket of Protozil, I think. Uh, anywhere from 800 to 1500 for Marquee. I'm not even sure about Navigator. A lot of these treatments are really expensive. Okay, and they were all predicated on the fact that we're treating a spinal disease, a bug in the spinal. Okay, so going back to what I said, right in the middle of this drought, I'm using my exam, I'm going over horses, and I've already got this exam where I can see that this horse most likely has EPM. 
I'm still using blood tests to back me up, but they're not backing me up. Sometimes the blood test says yes, sometimes the blood test says no. I go ahead and treat it, the horse gets better. Okay? There's a place in Florida that's doing blood tests. There's a place in UC Davis that's doing blood tests. Okay? UC Davis uh, is a very well-respected veterinary school. The place in Florida is a lady that's done quite a bit of research on her own and uh, is very conversant in cases of EPM and other things. Uh, so we were using both of these. And then I got to the point where I just quit using blood tests, period, because I was using compounded medications to treat EPM. Compounded medications weren't very expensive. So I could save my clients money. And not only could I save them money, but I found that a lot of people won't treat it if it's going to be that expensive. So I had to make it available where people would actually treat it because then the horses suffer. And so it's my job to find a treatment that's affordable, okay? Uh, compounded medications are under the gun, under the gun, they're scrutinized heavily. Uh, they're constantly taught that they're gonna outlaw them and all this stuff, and, and the reason being, uh, I'll let you all extrapolate that, and I'm, big pharmacy doesn't like them, of course. Uh, and they have had some problems in the past where they've mixed some of the wrong medications and some of the, um, I don't know if it'd be unscrupulous pharmacies or if it's just a pure mistake, okay? Uh, but in, in my experience, compounded medications are what save most of us here uh, and, and allow us to treat horses. So when, when we're looking for treatment, we're looking for something that A, is affordable, B, is very efficacious, meaning it works, and C, it's gotta be easy to give because you gotta have client compliance. Because if I sit at home with somebody, I wanna be dang sure they're giving it. And if they're not giving it, it's not gonna work. So those are the three things we look for, okay? And, and uh, there are a ton of mixtures out there, a ton of compounded medications. Uh, some of them are good and some of them aren't. I can't sit here and tell you guys which ones work and which ones don't because that's a practical experience still. They all work on from the same direction. Some of them work very well. Some of them don't work so very well. Some of the cheaper ones are not so good. And some of the expensive ones aren't so good. So you have to kind of look around. You have to, you have to develop a, I guess you'd have to develop a, a relationship with someone like myself who uses them all the time. And you'd have to have faith that I would tell you the right one to use. Uh, as we were talking outside a minute ago, um, we'll treat once generally and once usually takes care of what I need. But it, is, it does have a high rate of recurrence, okay? And uh, I'm talking in generalities right now. I'm fixing to switch gears here, and I'm going to kind of boggle your minds. So right in the middle of this drought, everything changed. I went from seeing one horse maybe every two months or so to all of a sudden I'm like, bang, bang, bang. I mean, I'm seeing them. To the point where I'm seeing as many, and it's happened several times, six out of 25 hit through my clinic in one day. They treat 25 head, and most people come to me for performance issues. And out of 25 head, I see six in a day. And that's unheard of. I mean, that's just not even right. Something's not right. So what's going on? But these horses are presenting with this problem. They're presenting with this deal on my exam. And again, the blood work's not working out for me, so I'm not even using it. And I'm, I'm wondering what's going on. So every meeting we go to, I go to a lab. I go to the labs at all the vet meetings. Like, hey, are you seeing anything with EPN? 
but I'm constantly talking to people that are coming through my practice, and like, we've been over here and they treated with this, and we've been over here and they treated with that. We heard your treatment was better. I don't know if my treatment's better. My treatment's different. Uh, basically, I think a lot of times it's just the fact that I sit down and explain what I'm talking about to you, just like I'm fixing to explain all this to you guys. Okay, so now I'm seeing tons of EPM. <clears throat> okay, we've all been hearing about it. We've all heard about tons of EPM, and okay, everybody's just treating it, but we're not getting any new information, and it's really frustrating. Okay, so in all these horses that I'm seeing, I'm not seeing many neurologic horses. So at first I assume I must be catching them really early. Okay, so I, I, I add that into my deal, okay? So now we're looking at the, the first big thing they told us was possums are causing all of this. There's not a way in God's green earth that possums can cause as much EPM as you're seeing out there. It just doesn't happen. So I keep asking everybody, have we found a new carrier? No, everything's still pretty much the same. Everybody seems pretty much the same. Uh, so this is frustrating to me, so we keep on going. This isn't right, okay? So I cover a really wide area. Uh, I drive to Texas Panhandle. Uh, I drive to Kansas. I drive to St. Louis. Just got back from St. Louis. I drive to uh, uh, Houston. I cover a large area. And so the fact that I do that gives me an idea. I, I see a lot of things that people don't see. And what I was able to do is I could almost draw a map as to the areas that were affected by this. Mm. And it's right in the middle of the United States. So right in the middle of the United States, there's a big uneven circle through southern Kansas out to about the Texas Panhandle, down to northern Texas, and then all the way back around St. Louis and up in there. And it's really prevalent up in, in northern Missouri and up in there. Uh, those people are really aware of it. So I see this, and I don't see too many horses that come out of these areas that come away from these areas, like Michigan or somewhere up north. I don't see many horses that, that come from California or anything like that that have it. And that makes me wonder, so I'm looking at that. At the same time, I'm looking at horses coming from all over the state, and I have two really hot spots within the state of Oklahoma that I see a lot of horses from. One of them was Perry, one of them was Chickasha. Tons of horses from those two areas that had it. I don't know why that is. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one day I'm way out in the Texas Panhandle, uh, I'm looking at a big batch of horses, and I find two. And that's really unusual. So I asked the guy, what's going on here? Where are you getting your hay? He gets his hay from Chickasha, Oklahoma. Okay, so that ad, you put that into your book, okay? And then uh, I've got a big stable here in Guthrie that was here for years. I, I worked on this stable. They were saddlebreds and mortgages. There was about 85 within the barn. Never once had a case of EPM, period. And those horses were in stalls 90% of the time. The only thing they got to eat was what they were fed. We're rocking along there. Never had a case of EPM. It's really making me wonder. It's bothering me. I'm finding out where their hay's at and all that. And all of a sudden, she fired her hay vendor. Hired a new hay vendor, and within 30 days, I had six cases going in the barn. Okay, so I just put in some empirical evidence that the hay is the common deal. It's in the hay. Okay? So it's not in the hay that was stacked in the barn and the critter crawled up on the hay and took a poop on the hay. Okay, because you're going to knock that off. This stuff's coming from the field. Okay? All right, so I'm pretty sure possums aren't causing all this. Uh, I'm also sure it's in the hay, okay? So I'm building the case. I'm slowly building the case up here. These horses aren't neurologic. 
I don't think that this, I'm, I'm not catching the, all these horses that early. I'm still not seeing very many neurologic horses. I see some, but I'm not seeing nearly, you know, one, one every once in a while. Uh, along comes a really fortuitous happening. I was in Denver Airport sitting Wolfgang Pucks, and I look up and Dr. John Madigan walked by. Dr. John Madigan is a very intelligent man. He's at UC Davis. Had a lot to do with developing the blood test for EPM, but he's also done a lot of other things. I'm sure if you guys are excited about horses, uh, you've seen the Madigan Foal Squeeze. Yeah. That's the guy. Uh, so he's super intelligent. You can talk a little louder. Sure. Online. So, that would be great. Um, running into Dr. Madigan, and Dr. Monica Ailman was with him. Dr. Monica Ailman is from Spain, and she's also at UC Davis, and she is a board-certified equine neurologist, which I find fascinating. Okay, so I'm like a little toad sitting on a stool talking to a couple of owls here. <laughs> They're way over my head. But I had a really interesting conversation uh, in the Denver airport, and the, the conversation continued on until we instigated a study. Uh, the study we instigated was based on the premises that, that we're not looking at we're looking at something else. And what came about, we did muscle samples on a bunch of horses. We did blood samples on a bunch of horses. I sent them to UC Davis. I took videos of my exams. I sent them to UC Davis. Uh, they looked at everything we sent up. And when it was all said and done, Dr. Edelman gave a talk this year at San Francisco at the AEP meeting. The AEP is American Association of Equine Practitioners. Uh, her talk basically said, that what we're seeing is based on an, another bug. It's in the same family. So Sarcocystis neurona is a bug that we see mainly with EPM cases in the spinal cord. Another bug that they see is Trypanosoma cruzi. Okay, for guys that don't know that, that's the bug that's in the kissing bug that causes Chagas disease. They found one of those in Texas. That was a really kind of an awful all deal. Okay, another bug that they have is Neospora husei. Okay, they've also found that, but that's not that common. Sarcosystis neurona is the one that all the tests were based on. Sarcosystis feyeri, it turns out, has been there all along. Roger Feyer was the doctor that did all the testing. I don't know this guy personally. So basically, he did all the testing. Sarcosystis feyeri interfered with the test, so he kind of pushed it off to the side because Neurona was causing all the issues. So the tests are based on Neurona. However, Feyeri is in the same family. It's interfering with the testing. Feyeri is not passed by possums, it's passed by everything that eats meat and takes crap out of your hay field. And I, I mean everything. Okay, so if a horse dies that has EPM or has Sarcosystis Feyeri, it dies in your field, and the animals get to it, and then they take a crap in your hay field, then they're gonna pass it on. It's going to be in the hay. That explains how much we're seeing. Okay, it also explains the boundaries of what we're seeing because we're actually seeing, in my opinion, we're seeing a disease that's in a certain area, middle of the United States, more prevalent than anywhere else. We're still seeing regular cases of EPM, but I think in our area we're seeing large cases, large amounts. And in, in my estimation, I think as much as 85% of the cases we're seeing are not EPM at all, I think they're sarcosystis feyeri. 
So it's a muscle disease. This bug's not going to the neurologic tissue. It's hatching in the gut. It goes to the muscle. It creates a cyst in the muscle. And then we have the muscle that you saw outside where the muscles are twitching. You see all the same. You get the same four points. You get the same reaction. You get the same electrical stimulus that you're seeing throughout the body the horse is uncomfortable and eventually if the horse has it long enough he starts to lose muscle over the top line because that's where most of it's at in the top line okay he starts to lose condition and then we start to see poor haircuts it's also a protozoan organism and it, it's in the same family therefore the treatment works but the blood test usually comes up a little bit short sometimes it'll be right sometimes it'll be wrong all right so now, we've just, like I said, I went back in history here to build my case for what I'm saying. Okay, so I think 85% of the cases that we're seeing here are actual muscle parasites and not EPM. I think we say EPM because it's easy to say and everybody understands it. Although it is a really emotional response when I tell somebody their horse has EPM, I've got to get better at saying this is more likely muscle parasite uh, because more than... Often than not, I end up being a therapist after I tell them. You know, telling me, yeah, everybody starts crying, and I'm like, oh, come here. It's okay. We're going to get through this. So uh, I built the case up to this point to show you where I think we're coming from. Medications are working really well on it. I've got, I think, an 85 to 90% recovery rate using this medications. And, and like I said, I use one medication. It's not really important what I use. Okay. What's important is that there are other medications out there. There's a lot of compounded medications that work. And there are commercial medications that work. You have your choice of whichever ones you want to use. Those anti-protozoal organisms or uh, protozoal medications will all work on this. Okay, Dr. Ailman's paper in December in San Francisco stated that she used 14 days of Marquis. It's what she used to treat with. I personally, I like a little bit longer. I use four weeks of Totazeril DMSO. It works really well. Uh, there are other treatments, and I keep other treatments on hand. Uh, and like I said, it just depends on what I see when I do my exam as to which one I'll treat with. Okay, now, I just like I was outside. Okay, so I built the history. I built my case to tell you what I'm saying. Just like what I said out. Okay, everybody, here's part two. Um, I had a little bit of trouble with the live feed our first round, and we had some audio kind of cutting in and out and cutting off. And actually, my phone overheated at one point. So <laughs> we had to kind of cut this into two sections. So here's going to be the next section, and the audio should be better on it. Um, anyway, back to the discussion. Everybody, everybody does, everybody immediately wants to get some more EPM medicine and give them another round. That's not actually the right way to go. I mean, because you're going to waste money, first of all, and you're just going to run some more medicine to your horse that you don't even need. So the next way that we really need to go is we need to look. We need to pull a CBC, some chemistry on this horse, look and see if we got an infection. Because a lot of these horses that we're seeing that are immunocompromised due to EPM now have a tick fever of some sort. A tick fever is probably one of the most favorite things that pops up along this with this EPM that you see. Uh, and a lot of these horses, I'll treat them and, oh, they're not quite right. Go back and I look at the blood work and everything else, and I come up and I've got, and in fact, in one case, and this is this is kind of funny to me, it probably won't be so funny to you guys, but 
Um, one case, I actually isolated a case of rabbit fever in a horse. Rabbit fever uh, is a reportable disease in Oklahoma. And I, I did the blood work just basically because I was looking to see what this could be. And I came up with a positive. It's tularemia, a tick-borne disease. And the state vets call me and they're like, good Lord, where'd you get rabbit fever in a horse? I don't know. Maybe they kept him in a rabbit hutch. I'm not sure. So, so that's just showing you how diverse it could be. It could be Rocky Mountain Spotted. It could be Lyme disease. It could be anything. The great thing about tick-borne diseases, a lot of them respond to doxycycline. So if we're going to use common sense medication, we move over to doxycycline and try that. Okay. Uh, so that's one thing that you can have is a co-infection. The other thing you can have is ulcers. We end up treating ulcers uh, quite a bit. The ulcer treatment deal has been, uh, that's been a learning experience as well. Um, we're using, of course, omeprazole, remitidine. Uh, and I have found that uh, whereas academics do not actually believe much in hindgut ulcers, hindgut ulcers are a thing. Uh, and when I treat with omeprazole, of course, omeprazole is just treating stomach ulcers. It's not treating hindgut ulcers. So it's always good to treat the hindgut ulcers the same time you're treating the front gut ulcers. And I get a lot better response. Okay, so those are the different things that we're seeing as far as what we're seeing with it. And I think the big take-home message here is a lot of what we're actually calling EPM and everybody's going on and on about EPM isn't that EPM at all. It's Sarcocystis ferri, which is a muscle parasite. And uh, like I said, this paper was presented at the AAP. It's, it's a fact. It's not something I just came up with. Sarcocystis. S-A-R-C-O. C-Y-S-T-I-S, sarcocystis, F-A-Y-E-R-I-I. And here's a little thing that's interesting. I'm going to throw a couple of really interesting things. There's a lot of curves in this deal. Okay, so now what we're seeing is the boundaries of this deal are expanding. I'm starting to find horses from further north, further west, that have these diseases. They're, they're presenting with these signs. Okay, so... Well, the, the reason it's happening, basically, is because the infection, some why, for some reason, started here in the mid middle part of the United States, but it is now spreading out. Okay, so now we're starting to see other places where it's going to be, it's going to be more prevalent. But is there a root cause? Is there a reason that we're seeing this? Okay, so this is purely supposition here. I'm just throwing this out here. I went to an alternative medicine seminar a few years ago. It was a human seminar, and the guy talked about how uh, he isolated glyphosate from the colon of a man while he was developing chemotherapy agent. And he got to curious as to why there was so much gluten toxicity going on. So he took a section of colon, and he uh, put glyphosate on the colon, and then nothing happened because they said glyphosate is not toxic. But then he put a section of gluten on there with the glyphosate, and it opened up, and now you have leaky gut syndrome. Okay, leaky gut syndrome is coming on. It's getting, this is a really happening thing right now. There's a lot of that going on. I think a guy gave a presentation at the PBR there, or BBR or BBR or one of those the other day. However, I firmly believe that leaky gut syndrome or a form of that is a part of our problem. And I think, and like I said, it's purely supposition. I think that the guys... Uh, hypothesis that, that glyphosate was probably 
It caused, I don't know if it's just glyphosate, of course. I have no idea. It's purely supposition. Could be anything. But I think we've pretty much toxified our environment with different things. And we can't throw it at any one thing. And when we've done that, basically what we're doing is we're seeing uh, we're seeing the result of a lot of different things that are popping up. Okay, so the leaky gut syndrome, I'm a huge believer in. I, I do believe that if we can fix that problem, no matter what the cause of it is, if we can fix that issue, that I think we're going to help ourselves a lot with the, this EPM thing and with Sarcistus Um I'm really looking at this, this stride program that came out that they gave a speech. Uh, it, it looks really interesting to me. I've got several cases going right now where we're feeding that. Uh, it's supposed to fix leaky guts, and if it can do it, I think it'd be a wonderful deal because I feel like the GI tract is the basis of all our problems. I think that once the GI tract has issues and the immune system has issues, and then bam, then we've got all these other issues. So I think if we're going to attack this problem, we need to attack it from the very bottom and work our way up. Okay, um, let me look at my paper and see what I was going to tell you guys. Okay, so I pretty much covered everything I wanted to cover except if your horse does have this, okay, treatment is one thing. Your next appointment's the next thing. You got to figure out what the other problems are. But just like us, if we're sick, it takes us a while to come back. And if our muscles are damaged, it's going to take us even longer. So I think what Summer's doing here with the therapy deal is extremely important. I see a lot of the horses that I work on that go right back to work, and that's fine. They're going to build back up. But I think if it's done smartly and the, and the therapy is used, I think you can build these horses up and you can limit any injuries you may have from this because when a horse is weak and he's trying to work on the weak side, that's when we that's when we injure things and that's where we cause problems from. So I'm a huge believer in building them back up. Um, I use probiotics to build them back up. I use colloidal silver. I use a lot of colloidal silver in my practice. Uh, I make my own. Uh, we have generators going all the time. It didn't start out as I was making it uh, for a profit center. It started out as a uh, this is interesting, let's try it. And then the generators were really working. Uh, we, we started jugging it, and then next thing you know, I put it into my EPM treatment deal, and hey, it's working. I mean, the stuff, I use it as a preventative. However, I'm telling y'all, it's not 100%. There is no 100% preventative. There is no 100% preventative. And if a horse has had this condition, either one of them, they are prone to get it again. Their immune system is incompetent. It can't control it. And so you've got to do everything you can to control your immune system and keep it going. Okay, the colloidal silver helps. It uh, basically helps prevent recurrences, but it also builds up immune systems. It uh, fights infections that are coming. Uh, and it does some things that I couldn't even tell you why. I, I swear to you. There are some horses I put this stuff on, and, and you go back and you look at them, and you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. And uh, and that's not just like one horse at a time. I put whole racehorse tables on them, and then go look at them in 30 days and see a complete difference in them. And I don't have the idea. I can't sit here. So like I said, this is 
this is all my opinion. This is all things that I've done. Uh, these are all things that I've seen. The things that I'm telling you today, I've told my clients one at a time, and a lot of y'all are clients of mine, and I've, I've seen you time and again, and I've told everyone, you know, y'all that have been in there, I, we've had this talk, you know. Uh, and like I said, I've sat in my office. I sat in my office yesterday and talked to a fellow. I felt so bad for him because the first thing I said was, George has EPM, because it was easier to say than sarcasist despair, right? And this guy just like melted in a heap on my floor. You know, he's like right there. And so then I got to go, well, hang on, and back up. And I gave him the whole speech I just gave you guys. And one guy got done, this poor little cowboy, he looked at me and said, boy, you know how to take the starch out of a fellow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't intend to. <laughs> but uh, have you got any questions? I have, I have three questions. Go ahead. So the first question is, did you see a notable, do you see a notable percentage of horses that end up with ulcers after treatment? Absolutely. And, and a percentage of tick, like higher? Uh, I can't say the exact percentages, but I, I'd say it's a small percentage of the, the animals that come back and they continue to come back and they continue to come back. Uh, those are the ones that I really search through and look for those type of things happening. You know, if, if I'm having a horse and I've treated him once, and he returns with it, and I might treat him again. But the second, the third time he comes back, I'm looking for something else. Uh, I'm not getting it. So then we're starting to do blood work and stuff like that. I'm, I'm just uh, curious about. It's a smaller. One is more predominant than the other. Ulcers are way more predominant okay. than tick fever. And then my second question is, um, you talked about the hay and soil. Has anybody been able to isolate? I don't think they have. I, and again, I, I'm really, really concerned that it's not taken very seriously. And I'm really upset. I mean, a lot of people are taking uh, the things that we were told as, as God's honest truth. Uh, and I think, you know, the, all of the things we, we hear and all of the things we read on the Internet are supposition, somebody else's opinion. And I don't think they've just, they haven't made any great forward leaps. You know, one thing I always wanted to do is tell the farmer, you know, hey, if you're cutting hay for my horses, why don't you raise your rake up about that far? Right. See if that'll help. You're not going to get a guy to do that. I mean, he's going to lose a lot of money if he does that, unless he's the one feeding the horses. He might do it. Well, that's my, my, my next question. Around that time of the drought you were talking about those in did did hay... Collection or farming change at that time? Well, we hauled a whole lot of hay from other places in, mm -hmm. and that was a thing that was different. And we fed a lot of hay that we would have never fed in the first place. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, the same. We don't know. A lot of it. We're all we're you know a lot of this is supposition. We can't say this or that or you know. I can't blame any one thing. It's just like, you know, we're talking about what causes the leaky gut center. I, that was one cause that was possibly mentioned, but it possibly might not be that. I thought it was a very interesting talk. Mm -hmm. You know, you walk out of there and you're like, hmm, okay. But since then, we've got people that are, you know, now they're having talks about leaky gut syndrome being a deal. Uh, the grains and the processed feeds and all that stuff. Okay, so now we're talking about, now we're going back to, why aren't we steaming our hay? We could possibly limit our exposure by steaming our hay or possibly feeding uh, a processed hay, like hay rider or one of, you know, one of those. I think you could possibly, if you're feeding those processed, there's a good possibility they could. Again, I don't know that, but it's something that makes you think. Mm -hmm. But I know that there's a lot of people out there, you know, that are having trouble. 
you can only base your opinions on what you see. And, and uh, every day something happens and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And you put it in my book, you know? And so we add on, what's up? How do you tell the difference of that 85% and the other 15% and all the treatments? Treatments are the same, no matter what. However, the neurologic ones are basically, the difference is if he's neurologic, he'll shorten to you. What you're seeing with the muscle one is he's more weak. And he'll be weak in the, in the tail end, okay? So this deal pulling the tail over and all that, that's overdone. Uh, I mean, that's a, you know, it gets to be relied on. Of course, you do it, it's an easy, it's an easy look. But I can make any of them step over, you know. I weigh, I weigh quite a bit, and I can really grab on one. Oh, yeah, he's got EPM, <laughs> you know? But there's other neurologic exams. There's a ton of neurologic exams to do. So, uh, I, you know, I always got tickled early on before all of this came about. I, I would pull into my house and somebody's waiting on me, and they got a horse standing out there. His legs are out like that, and they're going, you know, he just can't make that third barrel. <laughs> like, for God's sake, quit riding. <laughs> You're going to die. <laughs> yeah, that happens more than you'll ever believe. You just like, I, I, you know, you're watching this, they're trotting down the aisle, and then you're like, oh, okay. I don't want to watch. So the 15% in, in telling the difference is to neurologic. When you see one that's truly neurologic, you pretty well know. Okay, and like I said, there's a lot of people that'll disagree with what I say. And that's fine. But you treat them the same? I treat them exactly the same. Now, I may move over and treat with something stouter. Is there a recovery rate? Recovery rate's not as good as neurologic EPM. No, it's not. You you have so many variables there, it, it, it adds on a total level of difficulty. You may have a neurologic, a slight neurologic case, and I'll say, I think, I think we're going to be okay here. But what I can't see is, where is that bug located? How much is he including the electrical signals going down that spine? And when I kill that bug, and it's hard to kill a bug in the spine because you've got to cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm -hmm. So you have to give medicine in a sufficient concentration that it'll cross the blood-brain barrier and then kill what's on the other side. So if you kill that bug, you don't know that you killed that bug because the only way to know that is if you kill the animal and then cut him apart to look and see if it's still alive. And that kind of defeats the purpose of what you were doing in the first place. So did, did I kill the bug and was his home at an area where he's causing enough damage that they're not getting electrical signal? Okay, that's, that's a common deal. Because Okay, I treated him. He's still neurologic. Why is he neurologic? Has he still got inflammation in the spinal cord? Or was the hole big enough that it's still impeding signal? And, and now I've got to wait and let that nervous tissue heal. Nervous tissue heals slower than any tissue in the body. Less than seven millimeters a year, I think. Something like that. So uh, I've got a long time to wait. So then what am I doing? I'm supplementing with vitamin E, whatever I can supplement with to hopefully heal him faster. But I will say this, more of them, I've, I've saved more than I've lost, but I've lost some too. And the ones that really get you are the ones that come on really fast. Mm -hmm. You know, you, they call you and he was fine yesterday and all of a sudden he's down. What's the percentage of them recurring? 
there's a pretty high there's a pretty high percentage of reoccurrences. I'd say I'd say you're in the 65 to 70% range. That immune system's hard to beat. When that thing when that thing gets down, it just won't fight it. You know, and that bug will come back, and then they're being reinfected. You know, in the old days we were like, are we being reinfected or did we not get it? And I'm a firm believer we're being reinfected. We're being reinfected, and it's challenging the immune system again. And we're just not, you know, we're we're going to have to stay on top of it. So that brings us to the next part of the deal. Is uh, a lot of people are treating two and three times a year. Medically, I have a problem with that. I mean, that's that's not something I want to see happen. Personally, as a horse owner, I don't have a logical alternative. I don't know where else to go with it. <clears throat> and then I have these horses that are really challenged, that seem to come back with it every time they get a chance. And basically on those there, you know, we're like, well, we're going to inject some hawks. Let's, let's treat them while we're doing it, just because I kind of think I'm going to bring it back. Okay, <clears throat> and that was something else I don't know if I brought up earlier. There's a lot of people that believe that you shouldn't use cortisone in your injections because it, brings, it causes EPM. I think that's backwards thinking. I think the horse already has EPM. His, his immune system is holding it at bay. All we do when we use the cortisone is we let it come out. So I'm not against cortisones. I'm going to go ahead and use cortisones. I'm sorry, I like them. I use cortisones in joint injections a lot. So if I got a horse that I think's got EPM, then, and I need to inject a hawk or something, I'll go ahead and do it. But if I, if he's one of those horses that's come back several times with it, I'm liable to inject his hawks and stifles or whatever, and then give him a bottle or something to treat him with to make sure that I don't get it, cause it to come back. So those are the things. There are people, like I said, that are treating two and three times a year. And God knows, it always seems to come back right before the big show. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. I mean, that gets to a point where you're like, well, you know, the, uh, the big bear race is coming up next month. I think I better treat him with uh, the dose. And gosh, I hate, I hate that, but I don't have the, I don't have anything to say against it. I can't. I mean, because sure enough, I'm going to tell you don't treat him, and then you're not going to be able to compete because right before you go, he's going to pop up with it. So I'm having to do that, but. That's, you, this is an individual deal. You all have to come up with your, you have to use your head. I'll be happy to help anybody. Anybody, but you guys have to use, you know, my heart, you have to stand up because I'll be in the clinic and people come in and they act like I remember their horse from last time and I may not. I don't remember the particulars. I may remember the horse, especially if you kicked me out there. <laughs> but I may not remember the particulars, so when I'm talking and I'm, I'm giving you a deal, you might say, hey, look, Doc, this not last time we did this. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be the paperwork and I'm like, that's exactly what we did, and we need to do that again. We might need to treat him, even though he doesn't show any signs, and even though I hate it, I don't have any alternative. Because the only preventative on the market is called Protozil, and it's $800 a buck. I was tickled to death when they came out with protozoa. I was at the mediums in Baltimore, and they came out and they said, we got a new preventative. I was like, yes, that's great. It's only $800 a buck. Oh, we probably won't be using that. <laughs> that's not going to work. So it, go ahead. Realistically, how often should you be retreating or uh, besides that, that $800? Okay, so if your, horse, if your horse is a normal horse, 
I would like to say you shouldn't have you shouldn't have to treat him unless it shows up. Okay, a normal horse, and he's healthy and he's doing good. Then I only treat it when they're showing up. The horses that I'm having trouble with are the horses that's had it once or twice. If he's had it twice, I'm looking at him pretty close. Because next, you know, this next time it comes up, I got a big calf rope or something come up, and there he is, right before the calf rope, and they look at it. So I always urge everybody, you know, look at your horse, you know, have him looked at. Well, a month before. Before. What's that? First sign. Well, that's the thing. The first size this stuff is so crazy. It can be anything. A sign, you know, when it, the neurologic ones, a lot of it comes out in the stifles first. You see a stifle lameness or a stifle catching. I mean, a lot of the neurologic ones, that's the first thing you see. Anytime I see a stifle catching or something like that, first thing I look at is, does he have it? And I'll be looking at that. Uh, now, the, the muscle deal can be anything. I've got horses that come in. He's a second off. He's a half second off. Um uh, Okay, then I got horses that come in and it's like, boy, this horse is doing some really weird stuff. You know, he's, he's never been spooky, but now he's really spooky. I don't know why he's spooky. And then I got other horses coming in that, uh, um, well, he's running up the fence. He never ran up the fence before. You know, I've had this horse chiropractic six times in the last two months, and I can't keep him in. Uh, those are the kind of things. You see, I had one that was neurologic, and... Uh, well, he, he didn't present with any neurologic signs at all, but he kept colicking yeah. over and over again. And then I'm like, I had a young guy working for me, a young associate. And I don't know how many times he treated her for colic before he asked me about it. And I went out there and I sat down during one of the colics. And we thought we thought we worked it out. And finally I said, you know, that horse got EPM. And I'll bet you the bugs in the nerve roots in the gut. And so we treated him for EPM and quit colics. So, uh, I mean, the problem problem with this particular problem is it's hard to prove you this is where we develop, delve into this is what i like to call intuitive medicine i'm i mean i'm not if somebody wanted to dispute my findings i just have to go okay dispute it i you know that's your belief because i've given you the empirical evidence i have uh, a lot of the other stuff i'm working off of is into intuition i'm like okay so he's doing this i'm gonna have to move on to this yeah and I'm a huge believer in uh, diagnosing by treating. Okay, because some people that I work for can't can't afford to spend thousands of dollars just to diagnose it before I treat it. So sometimes I got to treat it to see what I got. Sometimes I got to treat one thing I see and then wait to see how that responds, and then the other problem pops up, and then you're like, oh. I always tell everybody it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It takes me a little time, and I tell all my clients, you know, when you come in. You let me treat it the first time. If I didn't get it, you got to come back. You can't get mad and go somewhere else because now you're starting over from scratch. You know, you started here. Well, then the next time you come in, I'm this far ahead of where I was before. And then I'm moving forward. So I always tell all my clients, when you come in, hey, give me a chance. I'm trying. You know, I always tell them, say, I'll pee on his foot if I thought it'd make you better. <laughs> Welcome back to section three of the EPM discussion with Dr. Sam Crosby. Back to the session. An autopsy on a horse that is passed, and you're thinking, hmm, the gut or et cetera, information, has that ever been done? I think that this guy, that, that, uh, I think his name is Vandergriff. Mm -hmm. I think they've done some. I haven't got enough information on it yet. 
I just started seeing this popping up in the last week or so. And uh, I think he gave a talk at the big barrel race they had in the city here a while back. Uh, and they're supposed to email me a bunch of information. I'm kind of excited about it. There's a couple of new products out there that are kind of exciting to me. Uh, I, I, because this leaky gut thing, I think this thing's pointing at the things that we're fighting that aren't related to EPM too. I think we're seeing a lot of allergies. I think we're seeing a lot of muscle soreness. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of lamenesses that uh, we're not catching due to this stuff. Well, also, what about isolation? Like you said, reinfection. No, the reinfection would be coming from them going back out and getting hay that's so, been infected with feces. This is a feces, fecal oral contamination route. So has anybody experimented with isolating? Hey, I, I would love to. I have it myself. Uh, the thing I run into is I'm so goddamn busy doing what I'm doing, I don't have time to do anything else. Uh, and, but I would love if one of these people would do that, and I constantly, every meeting I go to, I'm pushing on the labs. Hey, somebody's got to do something about this. Uh, Monica Elliman at, at uh, UC Davis, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with her work, and I would like to see her. And, and Dr. Madigan is just, uh, he's amazing to me. I mean, I've, I've sat and talked to him for hours. And the things that this guy, he's, he's, uh, he's got a good thinker on him. And it's just really, really fun to talk to somebody like that. So you said you used the colloidal colloidal yes. and would you sell your compound to someone who was not a client? Sure, because basically it's something I made. It's totally legal for me to sell it to any, any aspect of anything sure. I want to do. I could use that as a maintenance. Oh, absolutely, and I do. And uh, so is it a, how is that? That's a compound, it is a powder? No, it's a liquid. liquid. So it's a, it's a uh, liquid on water, basically. Okay, so if I call your office and say, I'm just, hey, so how much vitamin E do you recommend? Oh, man, the vitamin E recommendations are really high. I think it's up to like 10,000 units, and they like the natural version of the, the vitamin E. Uh, this is, uh, you can find this and Google it, but it, basically the, the numbers that they're quoting, it's really good for a horse's neurological uh, challenge. would be around 10,000 units a day. Uh, a vitamin E, and they like the natural vitamin E over the synthetic vitamin E. Okay, and so that brings me to ask, what, how do you feel about natural homeopathic products that are out there on the market? I use a lot of them. I, I, I'm, uh, I think outside the box a lot. Therefore, I'll use anything from homeopathic all the way through commercial medications. Uh, if they work, I use them. I've got some really good homeopathic medicines that I use. I've also got some good commercial medicines I use. My deal is if it doesn't work, I, I might give it a couple shots. If it's not working, I'll throw it out and I won't use it anymore. My mayor presented Neurologic Potter just as she was starting to fall out at a walk, like, you know. And um, I was informed of, of a natural product, Politic Warm. She just finished her 30-day dosage, and now she's going to do another 30-day maintenance, and I was working on her 28 days. Excellent. And it's a it's a gut health. So hopefully, like you said, you got she was a major cribber before she started right. this med. She just lost the rib. Right. It's amazing. Okay. So amazing. So it's relative to And then that's the thing, you have to use these products. Like I said, there's not one product that, that mm -hmm. I can sit here and go, I can only tell you about the products. But I, I would have never thought that she had had ulcers, I mean, cribbing, you know. Yeah. 
Criminess is bad for the digestive system all the way around because they're sucking air and they fill themselves up with air and therefore uh, it makes them feel like they're full, therefore they're not eating much, but it also disturbs the floor and the gut. So, I mean, crib is not a It's so thing. cool to see that stuff there. Yeah. I mean, of everything, you know, yeah. trying it all. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you find a product that works for you, you got to continue using it. And, and that's the thing. And just add maybe these two things to the program. Well, those are things that work for me. How do you use your colloidal tea? I give them uh, about 60 cc's twice a day, and I, I just pour it over the feet. It's not, you know, it's nothing spectacular, it's, but it is working. Now, I've watched all of the internet, Facebook deals where the guys are going, well, if it's this, it won't work. If it's a colloidal silver, it won't work unless it's antibiotics. Again, if it works for me, I'm going to use it. So that's just always in their feed? Yeah, I put it in their feed and do that. Every now, time. if you are going to be feeding a probiotic something or another, Colloidal silver will kill well, good bacteria, well, it will kill bad bacteria, so you would have to do it, like, do your silver in the evening and do your probiotic in the morning or something like that. I would, I would separate Okay. So it will kill either one. Because silver is antibacterial. So talking about the immune response and everything, how do you recommend vaccination schedules for EPM horses or for the muscular version? For vaccinating, basically, as long as as long as I got them healthy at that point, I'll go ahead and vaccinate. Uh, the vaccinations are going to challenge your immune system, but right. that can't be helped. Uh, I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. I'm a huge I'm a huge vaccine. A lot of us haul, so we have to have the vaccinations yeah. anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, if you're just doing rhino, you're sure not going to hurt the immune system that much. And I always say, you know, everybody got off on the rhino kick with the, the herpes virus, mm -hmm. then they were feeding lysine and all that. I've had people that I respect tell me the last thing worked. I fed 50 gallon sacks of that crap and I never got nothing out of it. Now, with the colloidal silver, have you noticed that along with the vaccinations and the warning, people are not coming back as often? I do. I see that, absolutely. That's why I recommend colloidal silver. Because, uh, you know, I've, had, I've got, I'm intimate with some horses that I had to, I had to chiropract, I had to inject. I'm working like crazy and I can't figure out why nothing I'm doing is working. Put them on the silver, not for that, for you know, for health sake. And all of a sudden, bam, I'm not injected and I'm not chiropractic. Again, I don't understand it, but it did something. And as far as the deworming schedule, um, with some of the neurologic courses and you see all this Facebook stuff about don't give this one, it, it caused my horse to have seizures and I had to put it down. And is there like a do you recommend a pickle test before you deworm, or is there just a, okay. any dewormer will help, or do you just do them your own? There are some wormers that I don't really care for. Okay. I'm not going to name them on Facebook. But okay. Did you name them now? Yeah. Uh, do I? After saying now. Are we out? Or are we no, still we're, still, we're still alive. Afterwards, we're still alive. Yeah, I mean, I could, okay. I'd tell you in private. I'm not going to sit here on Facebook and no, tell you okay. which ones I don't like. But there are, uh, there are a few that you, you there are some I don't like to worm with, uh, okay. and I, I think we've gotten away from things that uh, that worked in the past with these paste wormers. I think everybody got really used to paste worming. I love tube worming horse. I'll tube worm my horse there. You know, I, I I like I think you ought to tube worm your horse at least every six months, and I think if you do that, you're going to get more out of your wormer than you would if you just paste worm them. I don't use anything specific, but it's just the fact that I'm delivering it right where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I tell you two quarter one, I'll follow with a gallon of oil. 
I'm going to tell you for sure, a gallon of oil in a, in a tube will slick a horse off slicker than you. Than the <laughs> and I tell you, when you get done, everybody's like, that was cool. I want to do that again. So I'm a huge tube farmer. I tubed up. I was on the way back. I was working up north here the other day, and I came back through Jay, Oklahoma, and uh, pulled in there, and we took 35 in. And uh, it was the funniest thing, because there were 15 horses tied up to the fence, and the, the east end of the horses was in Arkansas, and the west end was in Oklahoma. Never worked in two states at once. I was careful to stay on the Oklahoma side, because I don't get licensed in Arkansas. Now, along with the leaky gut thing, I have, and I've had some decent luck with that on some clients. Uh, I'm, I'm start, that's another thing that I'm really looking into. Uh, I've had some navicular horses that are walking definitely better, uh, doing a lot better after 30 days on that. Uh, so that's another product that I'm kind of excited about. I'm really kind of exploring. I don't have any hard evidence on it just yet, uh, as well as this, uh, this stride deal with the leaky gut treatment. I don't have enough hard evidence on it, but I've got several bills going right now. And if that stuff works, I'll be using the heck out of that. Because I believe that's a huge problem. I believe it's a huge problem for what we're facing. Several people have asked online, um, like, how long do they need to be off while they're on treatment? How long do they need to be off to heal, to be able to go back to competition? Like, they're asking both on the neurological well, a, cases and the muscular cases. That's a case-by-case case basis. I mean, if I've got a muscular case like that didn't uh, and, it, and it's not very uh, I had no muscle atrophy and I had no sign of it other than what I found on physical exam I'll only lay them off seven days or so because by ten days in the treatment they're usually showing a lot better if I've got muscle atrophy and all that then I'm re I'm saying we need to use uh, the rehab we need to rehab them we need to build some muscle back we need to use some products that, that uh, probiotics prebiotics exactly try to get them things to come back um, because they've got to get back to form before we go back to use them or we're going to injure them. So it's a case-by-case -case basis as far as how long to lay them off. So that kind of circles back to your three-week recheck on Right. That's what we that recheck. Over it. If I do a three-week recheck and I'm not happy, hey, we're not going back to work yet. But if I've, if I've got a horse that's just, you know, well, like the one we looked at before here, if we look at him and he's not that serious, then and, uh, lay off seven days and go back to work because I'm not worried about you. But if he's neurologic, and I'm treating him, I'm going to tell you, hey, don't ride him, especially if it's a kid horse. You know, you got to tell some people that I, I, I hate that, but, I mean, you, you stop him, like, look, if that was my kid, I wouldn't let him ride that horse because I can't tell you if that horse is going to fall on him. Another, we had a few questions on here about titers, too, um, which I know that circles back to the blood, the blood work. But if you get a high titer with blood work, then it, that's significant enough that you need to go ahead and treat I mean, that, that is a significant deal. My deal when I said blood work was inconsistent was sometimes I get a negative test when I think that horse is positive. Right. So and even if they have a low titer, it doesn't necessarily doesn't mean that necessarily they don't mean, need to be treated. If I'm doing the exam and I'm saying he's got it and I get a low titer or no titer, I'm still going to treat him. Uh, I was told in Oklahoma area, you can almost pull titers on everybody. In well, they, they've all done so, titers. So where, when do you treat I mean, well, I don't treat off the titers. I treat off the physical exam. Good for you. Yeah, I don't. I don't treat <laughs> off titers at all. I don't even, like I said, I don't even pull titers anymore. I only treat off the exams. If my, if the horse, if I examine the horse and he shows me enough, we're going to treat him. 
But if he, if, if I, I that, well, it just doesn't happen that I just pull a tighter unless somebody asks me. And even if I pull a tighter, he doesn't show me on the exam. He'd have to have a really high tighter. If I pulled it and I was like, well, he's got a high tighter, you might as well treat it. But he'd have to be a really high one. 90% of the horses in Oklahoma are going to have a positive tighter, but it's going to be a lower positive, you know, a lower positive. If you get a really high tighter, that's measuring the recent, how recent it was just what's going on. Is that a question there? Oh, no. Sorry. I saw a lady out of the corner of my eye. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question. What is the protocil you're yeah. talking about? What's in it, and is there a generic thing? There is, and I, and I use I use a compound version of that, but I use a compound version of it, it's diclagiril, uh, and I use a compound version and an injectable treatment, a five-day injectable treatment. <laughs> Diclasial. It's more expensive than a lot of the others, but it is a, uh, I would say it's a gold standard. It's it's up there. It's as good as any treatment. <coughs> but I hardly ever use it because it's only a five-day duration. I only use, I rarely use it by itself. What I usually do is I use a, a, a less effective treatment, say pyrimethamine and sulfa, uh, which I think they're marketing under the term rebalance now. Uh, I'll use it for maybe 10 days, then do a five-day treatment in the middle with this injectable, and then finish off the 30-day treatment with the, the other stuff, the oil stuff. They, they, what I'm saying is I'm getting a slow kill, and then I hammer it, and then I finish it off with a little maintenance deal. And I, I like that. That really works good. But it does raise your price significantly on the treatment. It gets it up there to where you're using, like, marquee or something like that. But it does a good job. I'm always trying to save people money. And I find myself in a, uh, uh, sometimes I'm too conservative. So sometimes I'll stop in the middle of the deal and I'm really working up this elaborate plan <laughs> and I've saved this much money and I'm like, wait a minute, let's just erase all that and let's do this. And everybody's like, oh, okay. Do you think that was concentrated, you know, the, you said the hot spot was Oklahoma right. tips because we beat the prairie grass and Bermuda versus alfalfa where out in Idaho and uh, further out, they feed more alfalfa. I think there's a good possibility of that. I mean, it, that's a that's a possibility that I put in my deal. I haven't found a way to prove it. That's the whole thing. I haven't found a way to prove what happened or, or when it happened. I know when it happened. I don't know why it happened. Because yeah, I've used the same hay field for 30 years and haven't had any horses with it. And then the last two horses I've had, Got off the same hay field. I'm not bringing hay in from anywhere else. Yeah. I've had each down. Yeah. So I don't think it was in the spray. Like yeah. maybe that, because that might have been the only change. I don't think it's in the spray. I think that would be a perfect uh, experiment to do is to raise your rake up and leave some back in the field. I'm going to do that. I think it's that. I mean, that's been bugging me forever. I just want to tell somebody to do it. And I tell people to do it and they look at me like, I ain't leaving it in the field. <laughs> I'm going to lose money, you know. But if it's your horse, it's yeah, working. Hey, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, because my horse had the EPM, and I did the compound, I think, I'm not good with that. No. Uh, Declinate. Let Yeah, I did that pace. actually did two back-to-back -back treatments. Yeah. And I stayed off of her for, and I also started giving her omeprazole because I thought she had an ulcer. Yeah. Except she never went off feed, but her rib cage. Well, I'd go to Salon and she'd reach around and try to bite me. Sure. So, I had a little but 
Should I have been given something else for a hind deck? You should. Honestly, if you're treating for ulcers, the, the thing you get into is you really need to treat for the EPM first. Uh -huh. you, can, you can do an ulcer treatment. But if you're going to do the ulcer treatment, I, I recommend getting the EPM treatment done first and coming back with the ulcer treatment on top of it because every time we're treating with the EPM medicine, we're, we're causing ulcers. So if I'm doing an ulcer treatment at the same time, I'm trying to keep it from getting too serious. Mm -hmm. But yes, anytime you treat, as far as I'm concerned, anytime you treat for ulcers, you should treat with a uh, hindgut or something. What, what, I use, what I use is succeed. The product, the product called succeed. It's a, it comes in a granule and a paste. And the, the paste to me is more effective, I feel like. But if you do one tube of paste for 30 days, it runs about $130-$150 for a month supply. And you can do it the same time you're doing uh, doing the omeprazole or metadine or whichever. Uh, gastrogard, whichever one you're using. Do you have to do it permanently like you do omeprazole? Oh, absolutely not. No, and you don't have to do omeprazole. was never designed to do permanently. Oh, it wasn't? Never. Good. That's been not at all. No, omeprazole was only designed for really, in horses, for like a 28-day treatment. It's designed to, you're not supposed to keep them on it. What about Prevacox uh, versus Butte to keep them? Prevacox is a wonderful product. Uh, it started out as a beautiless beaut. Uh, I had my doubts about that, but then once I used the product, it's very effective. And the fact that it has no gastrointestinal effects makes it even uh, a bigger deal for me. And you prefer Prevacox? If I'm doing something where I have a horse that has ulcer, I would prefer Prevacox, yeah. I mean, again, you're going back to a cost versus effectiveness. Both beauty and protocols are effective, but uh, long-term insets uh, generally cause problems. But it's overstated. I mean, you got to have a horse that's, that's got other issues. You know, I mean, if your horse has got other issues, the beauty's going to cause a bigger problem. If your horse is normal other than effective length, uh, then the beauty's probably not going to cause any gastrointestinal issues unless you're a hammer. Now, I've seen, I mean, years and years of doing this and a lifetime of living on the racetrack and whatnot, I've seen people that, that uh, abused non-steroidals like a butamine, and uh, that is not pretty when that goes south. They haul a lot in an ambulance, usually. It's, that stuff's a little comfy. If you ever want to have it, that, how, what that stuff could do is uh, witness somebody that's abused it. You know, there's always somebody in the barn that's decided he'd just use that instead of a human drug, and it's not a good thing. What's the difference between Equilox and Pentecost? They're the same drug. Okay. Fire, yeah, you, you're a better person than I can if you can pronounce it. Fire Coxon. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that. <laughs> but it's the same drug. Same drug. Uh, again, you're, you're playing pharmaceutical games, pharmaceutical companies playing games. Uh, you've got the dog drug was original, was Prevacox. The horse people started using it. They don't like them using an extra label, so then they made a horse drug. But the interesting thing about that is that when they made the horse drug, it's 57 milligrams a pill, whereas the dog pill we were using was 227 milligrams. And then they're telling us it's cheaper to use the horse deal. I'm like, I don't think I'm agreeing with that, if that's what y'all want to do. And there's an injectable form of Equinox as well. It's a very, uh, very good product. All right, everybody. So that concludes our podcast with our EPM discussion from, like I said, about six months ago. 
with Dr. Sam Crosby, and he's a vet here in Arcadia, Oklahoma. He also um, is a vet for Heritage Place Sale. Um, he does a lot of work at Remington Park. As he said in the audio, he does a lot of performance horses, barrel horses. Um, he's somebody I've known since I was about seven years old, and I've always respected his opinion. And I love the fact that, you know, not only does he have a medical approach to things, he also really likes to do natural type of stuff, alternative medicine, alternative therapy options. So I feel like he's a very, very well-rounded individual that nothing with him is set in stone because he he admits to always trying to learn, which is kind of the same theme that we keep around superior therapy. You know, um, <laughs> I always caution everybody, if somebody says they know everything, that's not somebody I want to align myself with because even as healthcare professionals, we're always learning. And that's part of the reason I wanted to revisit this topic. Um, like I said, this will probably be one of our November podcasts. But we want to kind of revisit this uh, with a little better audio, obviously, and maybe have some new questions that have come up. So if you have any questions, contact us at Superior Therapy, and I'll be more than happy to provide you with Sam's contact number. And if we can help you with any type of rehab, that's that's one of the things that we specialize in here at Superior Therapy is we do a total rehab program for these EPM horses. We also help with treatment options. Most of the time I'm getting them through Sam, but you know, we can treat your horse while they're here doing therapy. We, we kind of have our own protocol for these horses and it's worked really, really well as far as trying to help prevent the relapse and getting these horses strong, getting that muscle atrophy built back. So if we can help you, you can find us at superiortherapyllc.com, Superior Therapy LLC on Facebook. Thank y'all for tuning in. Happy trails, y'all.